Now, in these two, first two sections that we're going to cover this morning, our Lord is confronted with the heartbreaking circumstances of two people. In each case, Jesus shows his heart of compassion by helping them out despite of what society may have thought of them. And as you'll see, he helped them because he had a heart of compassion. Compassion doesn't measure who a person is or what they do or don't do. Compassion ministers. Compassion serves. In these stories, Jesus will not only show us what it means to minister to those who are hurting with a heart of compassion, but will also show you that he cares about you in the very same way. He has a heart of compassion for you all. So if you ever wonder what it means to serve with a heart of compassion, how do, how do I serve with a heart of compassion? Here Jesus will exemplify, exemplify that for us. So let's turn to, if you're not there already, let's turn to Luke chapter 7 in your Bibles. And while you do, let's open up with a word of prayer. Lord, Heavenly Father, we are thankful that you've brought us all here together, Lord. I pray that you will meet us and that you will minister to us. And, and Lord, we just want to glorify you this morning, Lord. We want to hear from you. Fill this room with your spirit, Lord. Soften our hearts and minds. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, Luke chapter 7. Luke chapter 7. The Word of God says, When he had concluded saying all this to the people who were listening, he entered Capernaum. A centurion's servant who was highly valued by him was sick and about to die. When a centurion heard about Jesus, he sent some Jewish elders to him, questioning him to come and save the life of his servant. When they reached Jesus, they pleaded with him, earnestly saying, He is worthy for you to grant this because he loves our nation and has built us a synagogue. Jesus went with them. And he, when he was not far from the house, the centurion sent friends to tell him, Lord, don't trouble yourself, since I am not worthy to have you come under my roof. That is why I didn't even consider myself worthy to come to you. But say the word, and my servant will be healed. For I, too, am a man placed under authority, having soldiers under my command. I say to this one, go, and he goes. And to the other, come, and he comes. And to my servant, do this, and he does it. Jesus heard this and was amazed at him. And turned to the crowd following him, he said, I tell you, I have not found so great a faith even in Israel. When those who had been sent returned to the house, they found the servant in good health. So after Jesus had finished preaching that sermon that we covered for the past few weeks in chapter 6, Luke tells us that he entered the city of Capernaum, where a series of amazing events is set into motion that begins with this first story 
with, yeah, with this story from a, basically a secondhand request from a, mili- from a Roman military commander. Throughout the Gospels and throughout the book of Acts, Roman centurions are presented as quality men of character. And what we see here is an excellent example of one. Now, at that time, Jewish people had little love. They had little love for the Romans in general, and even less love for Roman soldiers. You see, because Capernaum was one of the main business hubs of the area, these, those soldiers that were serving there had two main jobs. To guard the populace against illegal business and criminal activities, and to collect customs from traders who crossed the borders of Palestine. The officer in charge was known as a centurion because he typically commanded a unit of about 100 soldiers. However, from what we're told, this particular centurion, this particular centurion, he, uh, he had a sincere love. He had a sincere love for the Jews there in, in Capernaum and even had, he even built a, a synagogue for them there. This was how he served them with a heart of compassion. He was sincere when he did this for them. He really loved the people there. So when he heard about all that Jesus had done, he sent some of the Jewish elders to him to request for him to come and save the life of his sick servant who was about to die. Now, in those days, at that time, it was unusual for a Roman slave owner to show any kind of kindness to his slaves and even treat them kindly because why should they? They just could easily be replaced. But this centurion saw this servant as more than just a replaceable part in the machine that ran his household. It says that that he highly valued him and cared for him, and he didn't want to lose him. Now, the, the elders, these elders that he sent, must have really known this. Before they got to Jesus, they pleaded on his behalf to go and help him out. Now, up to this point, most of the Jewish elders just wanted to get rid of him. They didn't want anything to do with him. They just wished and hoped and said that they just, he would disappear from the face of, of the earth. And, and some of them actually were planning on how to get rid of him. So the fact that these, these ones here were pleading with Jesus could mean two things. Either they didn't want to, they did it reluctantly, because, and they did it because they really, really liked this guy and didn't want to see him hurting. Or, and this is, this is, you may consider this a stretch, but the centurion's faith had convinced them that Jesus did have the power and the authority to heal that servant. However, whichever was, is the case, both go to show how much of an influence this man's love had on, our, uh, had on them, and our Savior could clearly see this, and it moved him. 
it moved him to act. So as it says in the beginning of verse 6, Jesus went with them. So let me ask you, do people know you for your unselfish love, your kindness, and your generosity? Here's another question. Do you plead or pray for Jesus to help those you know have these qualities? Well, here's what I see this passage showing us so far. Genuine, genuine kindness leads to admiration and respect. Genuine love leads people to come to Jesus on your behalf. And genuine faith leads Jesus to move and bless you. Jesus taught us that we ought to pray and love our enemies. And I absolutely believe that we should do that. I certainly believe that all of us, regardless of who our enemies are, we should pray for them. But when we're praying for him to come and minister to those who we know are genuinely hurting, who are genuinely good people and are seeking the Lord's help, when we're pleading to him for them, he hears us and he acts. This is how we serve with a heart of compassion. Author Alexander Stock said this, prayer requires effort. When we pray for people, we focus our thoughts on them. We take our burdens upon, we take their bur burdens upon ourselves. We intercede before God for them. We sacrifice, sacrifice our time for them. We commit ourselves to their well-being. We demonstrate true care and compassion. Now this is also true for those of you who just show kindness, love, and generosity towards your Christian friends and family. If they know you're suffering, I'm pretty sure they're praying to the Lord. I'm pretty sure they're praying for you to the Lord to come and help you. Because I know I would. I know that if you told me that something was going on in your life and it was hurting you deeply, if you just came to me and told me what it was, I'd be praying for you. We're told that as Jesus got closer to the house, the centurion made another surprising move. It says that he sent friends to deliver a direct message from him. Now, in Matthew's condensed report of this particular account, it says that he went to Jesus himself and spoke to him. So the question is, does Matthew's account contradict what Luke is telling us here? Well, not at all. See, the centurion's friends represented him to Jesus, and then Jesus, and then represented Jesus to him. Let me give you an example. When you hear the news that the president said something to Congress, this doesn't necessarily mean that he personally delivered the message himself. More than likely, that message was delivered by someone representing him. But the message would be received as if it were from the president himself. Well, the centurion's words were a, were a remarkable testimony of his humility and his faith. Not only did this Gentile soldier 
fund a synagogue and send for a, a nomadic Jewish rabbi to heal his servant, he recognized that Jesus, the rabbi, outranked him. You see, it wasn't normal for a Roman officer to tell a poor Jewish rab rabbi that he was unworthy to have him enter his house. Not only that, but he also didn't consider himself worthy to come to Jesus in person. But he had the faith to believe that Jesus could heal without being there in person. He believed that if he just said the word, that alone would be enough for his servant to be healed. The officer explained in verse 8 that he understood. He was aware of the parallel between the way he commanded his soldiers and the way Jesus commanded sickness and disease. Both the centurion and Jesus were under authority. And because they were under authority, they had the right to exercise authority. All they had to do was say the word and things happened. Now the fact that this soldier understood this, he, the fact that he, this, he was aware of this and he believed it and was displaying it, completely amazed our Lord Jesus Christ. See, this is something else that he wants to see in the lives of those who claim to follow him. He wants to see your humility. He wants to see your faith. Are you the kind of person that demands Jesus to meet your needs because you think somehow you're better or more righteous than others? Well, let me tell you, if that's the kind of mindset you have, you need to check yourself. You need to check that pride that's in you because that pride is sin. However, if you're humbly asking, if you're humbly coming to Him, knowing that He is the God of the universe, that He is in control of every single situation in your life, everything that's happening, and that He answers your request, He answers your prayers according to His will, and his purpose, then whatever he does or doesn't do, well, you'll be satisfied with that. You'll know that if he doesn't answer that particular prayer, hey, it's okay. He knows what's good for me. He knows what's right for me. He's my father. And he knows. He knows what's, go he knows what's, what's going on. And you're going to glorify him. And if he does answer that, that prayer, again, even more, you'll be glorifying him. But really, again, what he wants to see is your faith. Do you believe that he has the authority and the power to make the impossible possible? Do you believe that God created something out of nothing? Do you have the faith to believe that he can make water flow from a rock? 
that he can make the sun and moon stand still and protect three Jews in a fiery furnace. Do you believe that? Do you believe all the stories that we read about in the Old Testament, in the New Testament? Even though you weren't there to personally see them, there is no camera, there is no uh, television show, there is there's no social media. Do you believe that everything that he said, all his works, again, from the Old Testament and New Testament, actually happened? That is faith. That is faith. Now, Luke doesn't tell us the details of how Jesus cured the servant. But you see, that wasn't the point. The point was how this man, this centurion, responded. Or how Jesus responded to the centurion's faith. Jesus responded to him, to, to the words that the centurion said. In the same way, the crowd responded to the miracles, to his miracles, in amazement, in complete awe. What the centurion said showed a unique kind of faith. A faith far beyond the Jewish elders who knew Jesus could heal, but refused to follow him. This was a faith beyond the crowds who were just often following Jesus just to see another miracle or another sign. A faith like this was not found in anyone in Israel, not even the disciples. Being an Israelite, being an authority, being a religious or political leader, none of these qualifications mattered. Jesus only looked for one quality in people, faith. The ability to believe God, what he, to do what he promised he would do. This was the characteristic that impressed the Lord the most. Now, I'm not sure if you knew this, but there are only two other instances in Luke where we're told that Jesus was amazed. Here, the first one in, in Capernaum, he was amazed at the faith of this Gentile. And the other was in Nazareth back in Luke chapter 6, where Mark, again, Mark 6, 6 tells us that he was amazed at the unbelief of the Jews now, besides that, the only other person Jesus commended for having great faith was a Gentile woman whose daughter he delivered from a demon back in Matthew, or in Matthew chapter 15, verse 28. It's also worth noting that in both of these instances, our Lord didn't uh, have to bend to the rabbinic purity rules to effect the cure, you see, because he healed them at a distance. So even though, and it's quite possible that this man, the centurion and Jesus may have never met, that day Jesus rewarded the centurion's marvelous faith by answering his unselfish request. And we know this because it says in verse 10 that when his friends returned to the home, they found the servant in good health. Thus, 
Not only did the Lord heal his servant, but he also proved that he really did have the authority the centurion trusted him to have. Now, in the following story we're about to read, we're going to see another beautiful display of Jesus' compassionate ministry. So let's take a look at that now by picking up in verse 11 and uh, reading from there. Luke chapter 7, verse 11. Afterward, he was on his way to a town called Nain. His disciples and a large crowd were traveling with him. Just as he neared the gate of the town, a dead man was being carried out. He was, he was his mother's only son, and she was a widow. A large crowd from the city was also with her. When the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her and said, Don't weep. Then he came up and touched the open coffin, and the pallbearer stopped. And he said, Young man, I tell you, get up. The dead man sat up and began to speak, and Jesus gave him over to his mother. Then fear came over everyone, and they glorified God, saying, A great prophet is risen among us, and God has visited his people. The report about him went throughout Judea and all the vicinity. Here, Luke tells us that sometime, and some translations may may actually say the next day, the event that we just covered, Jesus and his followers traveled to, to Nain. This small town was about 25 miles southwest of Capernaum, which would have taken about a day to get there. Now, we're not told why he went there, why he chose to go to such an isolated, out-of-the-way place. But it should be clear by now that everything he did and everywhere he went was never a coincidence. The son was always being led by the father. Well, as soon as his group near the gate of the town, they encountered another group coming out, carrying the body of a dead man. We then learn that the body being carried was the son, was the only son of a woman who was already a widow. Do you know what this meant? This meant that she was completely destitute. No husband and no son meant no foreseeable means of support. Women didn't, couldn't really work, especially older women, such as, an older woman such as herself. So for, the, for all she knew, she, she lost her husband, her son. She might end up in the streets six months uh, from then. It, she had lost everything. So although... A large crowd from the city was mourning with her. She knew that one dead son meant one lonely life. However, as we'll see, the focus of this story wasn't on the dead, 
but it was on the living. So being a keen observer, Jesus immediately recognized the situation. So when he saw her, he had compassion for her. Compassion flowed from the Son of God to the sonless widow. Now this is what I imagine occurred at that point. I imagine that when he approached the woman, he looked directly into her tear-filled eyes. And as he wiped the tears from her cheek, he told her, don't weep. These two words reveal the sincere, heartfelt sympathy he felt for her. Someone were to do that to me, I know that I would wouldn't know what to do. What do you mean stop crying? But those words, I'm sure when he spoke those words to her, something just happened and she felt a peace, a comfort. In that moment, Jesus Christ felt the pain that sin and death had created for this poor woman. And he couldn't just stand by He couldn't just stand there and do nothing about it. So he walked over to the open coffin and he touched it. And as soon as he did that, the pallbearer stopped. The entire procession, that funeral procession, just procession just completely halted. He then addressed the young man in the coffin and commanded him, get up. Notice, though, that the Lord spoke to him as as if he were alive. Romans 4.17 says that that's what God alone does. He speaks to the dead as if they were alive. That verse says this, God gives life to the dead and calls things into existence that do not exist. Well, sure enough, The dead son heard and obeyed the voice of the living son of God. And how do we know this? We have to remember who wrote this this gospel. It was a physician. It was a doctor. So he knew what living was and what dead was. uh, Dr. Luke tells us, says in verse 15 that he sat up and began to speak. And then, after he, that son was done saying what he needed to say, without saying anything else, Jesus walked over to his mother and just gave him over to her. Here's your son. Now, it's important that all of us understand this other point. This wasn't a resurrection. It was a resuscitation. See, although this woman's son rose from the dead, he would one day die again. This was also true for the other two people he raised from the dead. Jairus' daughter in Luke chapter 8 and Lazarus in John chapter 11. Up until this day, the only person that has been raised from the dead in resurrection 
is the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the only one raised from the dead in a glorified body. However, the Bible tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 42 to 44, that one day we too will have similar glorified bodies. At an event called the rapture, the dead in Christ and all living believers will be changed into, into these resurrected bodies and will be caught up to be with the Lord. That resurrected body will be our glorified body. And guess what? That body will never die. It will be eternal. It will never see sickness. It will never see decay. It will never see uh, the signs of, of age. Um, you're going to be the person that God exactly created for you to be without the, without the sin and without all the ugliness. Your body will be a glorified body. So this story ends by telling us that fear came over everyone because of, because of the miracle they had just witnessed. In that state of fear and awe, they gave God the glory he deserved, knowing that only God at work bring a dead son back into his mother's arms. However, in Jesus, they saw a great prophet sent from God, a divine messenger at work in their midst. Yet, here's the thing, when they said God had visited his people, they probably didn't truly understand that Jesus himself was God. Do you know that? Do you understand that? That Jesus himself was God? Is God the second person of the Trinity? Well, at least they told what they knew because verse 17 says that all throughout, that throughout Judea to the south, the actions of Jesus in the north was revealed. People saw a miracle in the raising of the dead and told others what happened. And as a result, the fame and glory of Jesus continued to grow. So now I want to ask another question here or let you know something first. Did you know that the story of how you became a born-again believer is just as miraculous as this story of Jesus raising this young man to life? Let me, t let me give you just two reasons why or how it is. First of all, the moment you accepted Jesus Christ to be your Lord and Savior, you went from being a dead sinner to a living, eternal child of God. It says this in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you previously lived according to the ways of this world. But here's what it says in John chapter 1, 
verses 12 and 13. But to all who did receive him, he gave them the right to be children of God. To those who believe in his name, who were born not of natural descent or of the will of the flesh or of the will of man, but of God. And secondly, you are a living, breathing testimony of how powerful God's love, mercy, and kindness is to those who think that they're beyond God's forgiveness. God uses your story to tell others that if he's powerful enough to change you, to forgive you, to transform you, then he can forgive them too. Again, in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 3 and 5, it says this. We too all previously lived among them in our fleshly desires, carrying out the inclinations of our flesh and thoughts. And we were by nature children under wrath, as the others were also. But God, who is rich in mercy, because of his great love that he had for us, made us alive with Christ, even though we were dead in trespasses. You are saved by grace. So do you see, you don't have to be a physically risen, you don't have to be physically risen from the dead to have a powerful testimony. You don't have to have a, a crazy story like you know maybe you've heard on the internet some people have had your born again story regardless of what you think is a big and powerful story and God can use your story and again regardless if if you grew up in the church and were have been attending uh, your parents church or or even going all your life everybody has a testimony Everybody has a story, and he can use your story to reach so many people. He can use your story to even reach people on the other side of the world. People, there are people around the world that are experiencing, going through similar things that you experienced before you met Christ, before you had that personal encounter. And they want to know how how to get out of it, what did it take? And you have the answer. That answer is Jesus Christ. You know what, who rescued you. You know what it took and, and that story, it transformed lives. You know, I hear all these you know, stories of, of people going to third world countries and, and doing all kinds of great things, philanthropists and, uh, and all that, and that's great. That's good. There's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with, you know, uh, donating money to these organizations and or feeding hungry kids or um, hungry families and, and building houses and all that. That's great. But the best thing you can do for anybody is to lead them to Christ. There's so many lost and broken and hurting people out there. They need Jesus, and you have a story to tell them. 
you have a personal story that will reach them, that will touch them, and will lead them to salvation. Brothers and sisters in Christ, Christian friends, church, you, each and every one of you, is God's beautiful, miraculous story. You're his beautiful story. This morning, and I know it's, it's short here, but I, next week I want to spend the time talking about how he also ministered to, to John the Baptist. But these two stories here, we saw two amazing examples of how Jesus served with a heart of, heart of compassion. Jesus compassionately ministered to the hurting centurion by recognizing and rewarding his amazing faith. And he compassionately ministered to the hurting widow who had just lost her only son by restoring him back to her. So even though these were two totally different people experiencing two different painful circumstances, his compassion didn't discriminate. So he ministered to them both, regardless of who they were or what others thought, of that, uh, thought about them or what they did and didn't do. Again, yeah, the centurion, he did a lot. He showed love and compassion towards the Jews in, in Capernaum, and he built them a synagogue. But the woman... We're not told that she did anything. She was just there. She was just there mourning her son. And he reached out to her. He went to her and showed his love and compassion. This is the same kind of heart and compassion the Lord wants us to serve those he brings into our lives whoever it may be, whoever, even if they're hurting and in pain and going through a difficult circumstance, that person that may be of a different faith, of a different sexual lifestyle than you, needs to be ministered to. God has rescued you. God has chosen you. God has put that person into your life so that he can use you to minister to them. Are you showing your love and compassion to those who are different than you? Are you ministering to them? You don't, it isn't always, it doesn't always have to be just shoving the Bible or, or scripture or theological terms or whatever may be down people's throats is just being there, being a positive example, showing them what the love of Christ looks like, taking them out for a cup of coffee, maybe watching their kids as they have a, the couple has a date night. You know, here's, here's another thing that, that might 
surprise you a bit? Do you have a friend or a family member that may have a different sexual lifestyle than you? Are you praying for them? Are you praying for their salvation? Are you praying? Are you being a positive, good example of who Christ is? Are you ministering to them? Or are they trying to avoid you because you're just, your actions are hateful? You have that look on your face that every time they come by, like, oh, you're gross. I never saw Jesus have that look towards anybody, not even the people that had leprosy. He loved them. He touched them. He ministered to them. And that's the kind of heart that he wants us to have towards the people of the world, towards the lost that are out there. Again, it's not you who's saving them. It's just Christ. It's God alone. True, heartfelt compassion doesn't measure or discriminate. Compassion ministers. On January 13, 2012, a massive Costa Concordia cruise ship with more than 4,200 passengers on crew and crew on board was sailing to the coast of Italy on tour of the Mediterranean Sea. Maybe some of you heard this story in the news. The captain deviated from his planned course and the ship struck a reef near the shore. After taking water for a while, the ship began to sink. Abandoning his duty to the passengers and crew, the captain, Francesco Chettino, left the ship instead of remaining to make sure everyone could be rescued. In a phone conversation, the local Coast Guard commander repeatedly pressed Chettino for an update on the situation. Tell me, are there women, children, and people in need there? Failing to receive a satisfactory reply, he ordered Chettino to return to the ship. The captain responded, you realize it's dark and we can't see anything. You've been telling me that for an hour? You've been telling me that now for an hour. Now get back on board, the Coast Guard official shouted. The captain was later arrested for his failure to do his duty, resulting in the deaths of more than 30 people. Every day, we're surrounded by people who will spend eternity either in heaven or in hell the fact that there's so many that so many are lost it should bother you it should disturb you it should the holy spirit living in you should should cause it should burn this this fire inside you to want to do something about that so many lost people and i see that i see that every time i go to the mall and I'm, that's a, and I'm looking around and, or, you know, I, I look at a stadium full of people at a sports event or whatever it may be, that always crosses my mind. How many of these people are saved? How many of these people am I going to see in eternity? And how many are going to be suffering in hell for eternity? And it breaks my heart. 
we, I can't minister to all those people in the stadium, but I can minister. I can minister with a heart of compassion to those God brings into my life. Co-workers, you know, neighbors, um, just random people that, you know, come across my way. I can minister to them. Matthew 9.36 says that Jesus had a heart of compassion towards the people. There we're told when he saw the crowds, he felt compassion for them because they were distressed and dejected like sheep without a shepherd. Let your heart be stirred by the condition of the lost and do everything you can to win others to Christ. Always keep the mind, the words of Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 1 through 3. If I speak human or angelic tongues, but do not have love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and I have all faith so I can move mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. And if I give away all my possessions and give, and if I, ever, if I give over my body in order to boast, but, to not, but do not have love, I gain nothing. Again, do you have that kind of love? Do you have that heart of compassion? If you're currently going through a time of pain, confusion, if you're suffering, Jesus wants to compassionately minister to you too. Again, he may not give you exactly what you want, but he will give you what you need in order to endure and overcome. But you have to personally come to him willingly and freely. He wants to see that you believe in him to help you. And if that's you, you're watching, you're listening, and, and you're, you're thinking to yourself, and yes, I, I need the Lord to, to come and rescue me, to, to minister to me. I'm going through a divorce. I'm going through a, a loved one just died, a, I just lost my job and you're lost and you're going through that painful, that hurt. Well, let me tell you, Jesus wants to minister to you. Jesus wants to, to help you, but he wants you to come to him. So if that's you and you're ready to accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. You're ready to open the doors of your heart to Him. Let, I want to lead you in a prayer to do that. So if that's you, I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes and with all your heart, with all sincerity, pray this. 
Lord, I admit that I'm a sinner. I confess my sins to you. I've blown it and I've there are no other answers, Lord, but you. I believe that you died on the cross for my sins and I confess you with my, with my mouth that you are Lord. Lord, remove these sins from me and take them upon yourself there on the cross. Empty me of all that is prideful, all that is sinful, and just fill me, renew me with your Holy Spirit. I want to be born again, Lord, and only you can do that. Lord, I believe in your forgiveness. I believe that you did all this for me and I accept it. And now, Lord, again, fill me so that I may walk with you, so that I may see you and see the world as you see them, Lord. Lord, I, I need a radical transformation in my life, and I believe that you will do that now. God, thank you again for sending Jesus to die for me. pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you prayed that, get a hold of us. Contact us, call us, send us an email. Let us know. And, and if you need help finding a church or a, a Bible study you can go to, again, we can help you with that too. But this Christian walk isn't meant to be done alone. We have brothers and sisters that care for you, that want to pray for you, that have a heart for you. And for those of us that are here and, and heard this message here personally, I, I hope that, again, that the Lord just ministered to you here and that now you will go out and have that same heart of compassion that he showed these two individuals and show it to others. There's a lot of talk out there of how to change the world. How can the world be changed? There's so much war, so much hatred, there's so much anger, so much strife, there's so much division. How do we come together? How do we heal from that? Well, you have the answer, and that's Jesus Christ. Share it, share them. Again, talk about him to others or just Live out the lifestyle. Live out the life of a believer. The only way this world will ever change. The only way this world will, people will begin to start caring for one another, truly caring for one another without any self selfishness is through Jesus Christ alone. So go out there. Go out there and minister. Be the salt and lights wherever you may be. 
again, have that heart of compassion for the lost and even for your brothers and sisters in Christ. Let's close with a word of prayer. Lord, Heavenly Father, this was a, a very uh, humbling message, Lord, and, and, and Lord, there are many of us that are just struggling, Lord, struggling with just having that heart of, of compassion, having that heart of just loving those who are different than us. Lord, I pray that anybody who has that heart, that you will convict them, but that, well, that, that conviction will turn to repentance and will turn, will turn into change, Lord. The heart, that the heart, their hearts will be changed and that love will just grow and, and blossom into, a, into the beautiful act that you created to be, the beautiful word that the agape love or that you wanted us to have towards one another. Help everybody out here, Lord, and help us out where we are falling short, Lord. We want to be your perfect representatives, or we want to represent you, and we want others to see your love through us. So continue to fill fill us with your love, your your spirit. Continue to show us your compassion and love. Remind us that at one time we were horrible sinners, completely separated, deserving death, and that now we're your children, and that you have the power and authority to make anyone out there your child, no matter how far gone they are, no matter how evil they, they may be, or their act, they, things they would have done, Lord, or the things they did, that you have a heart for them, you have a heart of compassion, that you will rescue them. Thank you. We love you and praise you and adore you and glorify you. In Jesus' holy name, amen.